Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we worship you as the King of Israel. Not just the King of Israel, but King of the world. God, my heart and my prayer is that you would be King of each of our hearts and our lives. That we would recognize you, respond to you, live our lives for you as Lord, as King. And so I pray for our time now. Thank you for our time already, for the kids, the many students, volunteers leading us, pointing us to you. Because God, you're worthy of all glory and honor. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Thanks team. Before I forget, and I might forget later, I just want to say thanks uh, to all the different volunteers who have helped plan and practice with our kids and practice the speaking parts and choreographing the dance. So can we give everybody a round of applause who had an awesome hand in planning our service this morning. It's just a joy. Every time we gather, uh, it's a joy and an honor to be with you. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Will Freischlag, uh, one of the pastors here on staff, and it's just great to be with you this morning. You'll know that we've been, the last few weeks, walking through uh, this series called Good News of Great Joy, focusing on primarily this verse, Luke 2, 11. It says, For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the first week we focused on that, the, the, one of the first phrases, unto you, and we looked at how Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And, and not just how Jesus is with us, but how he is also for us. And how that is such great news that the God of the universe would come to be with us. That we are not far away, that we are not left in our sinful condition, but that he comes to be with us. And then he advocates for us, and the Holy Spirit comes to comfort us and is for us. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. He is for us. And then last week we looked at the word Savior, how Jesus is our Savior. Again, he does not leave us in our sinful state, but he comes to save us. And, and we highlighted the things that, that we are saved from. We're saved from hell. We're saved from slavery to the world, slavery to self, and slavery to the devil. And more than that, we're, we're saved from those things, but we're also saved for so much more. We're saved for heaven and eternal life with God. We're saved for serving the world, for serving others, and for ultimately serving Christ. And so that takes us into this word, this phrase this morning, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. And so I want to unpack these two pieces. And this morning may feel a little bit different because we've got the kids with us. And so I'm going to try and keep you engaged. And so when I get to parts where I need you to call something out, don't be afraid to shout out an answer or something uh, if I ask for questions. All right, kids, you got that? Kids that are still with us? Cool. All right. So we're going to jump in. So this first part is Christ. This word Christ, it comes from the Greek word Christos, um, which comes from the root word essentially means anoint. And so Christos means the anointed one the anointed one, or the Messiah. And so the Hebrew word uh, in the Old Testament scriptures where we see this word Messiah is ha-mashiach, or Messiah, which used to refer, which was used to refer to the promised Savior of God's people. And so we take this Hebrew word, mashiach, and then we go to the Greek, which was translated to Christos, and then into the English we get Christ, Right? So they're sort of the, the journey of the word, if you will. So Messiah and Christ are these two titles that describe Jesus as the anointed one, the chosen one of Israel. 
This Hebrew word, masiach, was used to describe someone who was anointed for a particular calling. So in scripture, when people served as, as prophets or priests or, or kings even, they were anointed, they were ceremonially set apart for that particular role, for their work. And then we see Jesus come, and he is perfectly anointed to fulfill all three of those offices of prophet, priest, and king. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he accomplishes perfectly the work that he has set out to do, the work that he was anointed to do, Christos, anointed one. And then we turn to the word Lord, and this comes from a Greek word, kurios. And there's many times in the New Testament where we see this Greek word, and it, it's simply used to, uh, to, to convey uh, reverence or respect to someone in a position of authority, much like we would use sir or ma'am today. Um, it's also used as, as a term for slaves to their master, their lord, the lord of the land, or their master in that context. Uh, but then kids, I, I think about maybe the way you guys might understand it, if you've got kids in the house or, or grandkids, you probably f could think about it like this. Like, who's the boss? Who's the boss? Who's in charge? Right? So maybe, maybe at school, kids, who, who is in charge? Who's the boss at school? Yeah, your teacher. Okay, right? Teacher, who else maybe is in charge at school? Principal, yeah. Principal's in charge of school, right? Uh, how about in a city or a town? Like, how about in a town like Parker's? Anybody know who's in charge in Parker? Oh, yeah, the mayor, right? And then when we get to a city level, then who's in charge? The governor, right. And then when we get to a national level, kids, who's in charge of our whole country? The president, right. There's a lot of other people too, but that's, you get the idea, right? How about here at church? Who's in charge here at Pepsi, kids? Oh, good answer. I thought somebody was going to say Doug. I was going to say, you're totally wrong. <laughs> you're right. Jesus. Jesus is in charge, right? Sure, we've got staff. We've got, like, our pastors. We've got elders, right? So we answer to some of those authority figures. But ultimately, God is in charge here at church. Kids, how about at home? Who's in charge at home? Yeah, your parents. I know sometimes we don't like to admit it, right? Sometimes we, sometimes kids, you ever say this? You're not the boss of me. Or maybe you say that to a sibling, right? Hopefully you don't say that to your parents. Maybe to a sibling. I hear that at my house. You're not the boss of me. I'm going to do what I want. I'll tell you what, kids. Sometimes your parents, your grandparents, sometimes adults, we still say that. Sometimes we still say that, or sometimes we still act that way of saying, you're not the boss. And sadly, I think in life, sometimes we even say that to God. Sometimes we say to God, or we act in a way that says to God, God, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. And so kids, just like, we, just like we ask you, or your parents ask you to submit to your parents, you need to know also that your parents are not ultimately the ultimate boss of themselves. As parents, as grandparents, as family members raising little kids, we answer to God as well, all right? So maybe the other way to think about it is, is to think about Jesus as king, right? We talk about Lord, that's maybe a, a, a harder term to understand, but what about king? Right, I think we get this idea of king from stories, from movies. And so, kids, I want to show you some, of the, some pictures on the slot up on the screen. And if you know who this king is, I want you to shout it out, all right? So let's try this first one. Do you know who this king is? Anybody know? Who is it? King Triton. Yeah, King Triton from The Little Mermaid. Good. All right, you got that one. This next one's maybe a little bit harder. Anybody know this movie? Yeah, Rapunzel from Tangled. Yeah, his name's King Frederick. Yeah, okay, sorry, that was a little bit harder. Try this one, huh? Older? King Louis. King Louis, there you go, from the Jungle Book. Good, okay, next one. This is more modern. King Jordan, no, not King Jordan. King George? Yeah, Hamilton, King George III, good. Awesome, next one. 
Queen Elizabeth, that's right, Queen of England until she passed recently. Yep, okay, next one. You know this one. Yeah, she was a princess, right? But then I think she was queen too, right? I don't know the whole canon, but yeah, Queen Elsa, Queen Anna, right? Kind of, well, yeah, you know what it is. All right. Wow, Star Wars, okay. I think you must have sat through a service already. He's got all the answers already, yeah. Queen Amidala from Star Wars. All right, couple more. Yeah, it's a lion. Yeah, if you've seen, yeah, Chronicles of Narnia. This is, this is Aslan, right? And then the last one, you've, somebody's already said it, this one. There you go, Lion King. Yeah, and as I was pulling these pictures this week, it helped me uh, think about it in a way of like, we see imagery of kings or, or characters being kings and sort of the authority that they have. Um, so I'm going to show this clip. This is a pretty famous clip from the beginning of, of the Lion King here. on the last note. All right, you got it. Um, But this is a great picture, isn't it, of of these animals? And obviously at that part of the movie, uh, Mufasa is still king, but these animals, they're recognizing Simba as this king who is coming, right? This newborn king kind of idea. The analogy, you can run it on as long as you want to. Um, but to think about these animals, they recognize this, and then they sort of like bow down, right? They're, they're seeing, they're recognizing this king. And that reminded me of the song we sing this time of year, Oh, come, let us adore him. Right? We think about the kind of a king bowing, adoring. And so then we think about Jesus. Obviously, he's a different kind of king. Jesus is Lord and king, very different than any other king, queen, ruler uh, that, that we know of. Even as I was looking for some of these pictures this last week, I came across a lot of movies wherein the king or the queen is kind of a bad character, right? We see like this, this evil queen in all these Disney movies or this bad king throughout history. And, and, and so often we have a, a bad picture or narrative of somebody who's in a position of power and then they take that power and abuse it or just try to use it to get more power and more authority. And so when we turn to Jesus as king, even as he has all authority in heaven and on earth. But what does he do with that power? In Philippians 2, we see that he didn't consider equality with God. He didn't consider all that power something to be held onto, but he humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant and ultimately dying. He, he came, he was born to live, to serve, to heal, to teach people about his father in heaven. Ultimately, he was born to die. A king who would lay down his life for others. And then when we think about what a great character Aslan is from, from C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Initially in, in the story, he's a, he's a terrifying creature. The characters are so afraid of this lion, this all-powerful lion. He's a great king, but again, there's a lot of fear. Uh, and, and, and he uses the, the power that he has to defeat uh, the spells and the powers of the evil white witch. 
So some of you kids are maybe young, maybe haven't read it, so I won't spoil it now. But again, it's a great picture, a great analogy for those of you who know the story about this king that lays down his life for the people that he loves and that he serves. And so the idea that Jesus dethrones all these powers, the dominions, the authorities of the world, he, he breaks the power of sin and death and the devil. The idea that he cannot be defeated, that no weapon formed against him can stand. That's a lot of power, and that might seem kind of scary. But again, he's not an angry or mean king. He's not vindictive. The king Jesus who rules the universe came to be with us, and he is for us. Our king, who has unimaginable power and authority, used that power and authority to save us. To save us from ourselves, to save us from sin, to save us from the world and from the evil one. And so we don't have to be afraid, and that is the beauty of the Christmas story. It's good news, it's great joy for all people, and that includes you and me. Even when we look at the Christmas story uh, in the birth narrative, as it's outlined in Luke, we read about a guy like King Herod who wanted to kill Jesus, right? His, his power, his authority felt threatened by this idea that there's a new king, that there's a new a Messiah that would be coming. And so he, he has this ploy that he wants to come worship the newborn king, but really, ultimately, he wants to kill him. Or you think about uh, in, in the time of Jesus, uh, the, the ruler, Curios, could maybe even refer to Caesar, sort of the ruler of the land, and, and, and to Jesus' birth and the idea that he was called Lord, called Curios, was that, was that threatening? Was that posed as a threat to somebody like Caesar? As Jesus is walking and teaching his disciples, we see stories of them asking, or the Pharisees asking about, okay, so here's, so here's some money. Like, should we obey you, Jesus, as Lord, or should we be, obey Caesar? And he says, well, whose face is on the coin? They say, well, Caesar's. He says, okay, so give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what's God. And so Jesus recognizes that their kingdoms are very different. He, he still says, hey, God has used earthly rulers. He has put in place rulers, and so you respect them, right? You, you maybe give them honor and respect as kurios, right, as a lord. But Jesus says, my lordship is so much different. It's so much more. It's so much bigger than that. Because when we see eventually in, in the, the end of the story in Revelation 19, when Jesus returns, he's wearing a robe, and on the robe and on his thigh is written the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The King of Kings. He's not just a king, he's the King of Kings. He's not just a Lord, he is the Lord of Lords. It's interesting also to note when the word kurios is used here for Jesus in Luke, uh, his, his readers, the Jewish readers who would have, would have known the Old Testament scriptures, which were at that point then translated into Greek. And so if they were reading the Old Testament in Greek, which is called the Septuagint, there's numerous times, over 6,000 times, that the, word, the Greek word kurios, Lord, is used for the name of God. Um, over 6,000 times, as I said. And so I ran across this video this week, and I think it explains some of these Old Testament, New Testament, Greek, Hebrew words really well. So check this out. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the second key word here. Lord, written in all capital letters, this is the personal name of Israel's God. 
We first learn the meaning of this name in the story of Moses and the burning bush in the book of Exodus chapter 3. God appears to Moses and he commissions him to liberate the Israelites from slavery. And so Moses wonders, what if people ask the name of the God who has sent me? And so God responds, tell them, Ehyeh has sent me to you. Now, that Hebrew word, Ehyeh, means I will be. In other words, God's name means that he is the one who is and who will be. God's existence doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. This God simply is. But it will sound kind of strange for Moses to go say to the Israelites, I will be has sent me to you. Only God can say, I will be. So in the next sentence, God tells Moses the version he should say aloud, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, he has sent me to you. Now, that word Yahweh is the ancient Hebrew form of the verb he will be. And this is the personal name of the God of Israel. It appears over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Now, here's what's interesting. Over the centuries, Israelites wanted to honor the sacred nature of this divine name. So as they read the Hebrew Bible aloud and they came to this name, they stopped saying Yahweh and instead started saying the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Adonai. Now this practice has been continued throughout the centuries and so later when people started translating the Bible into English, they adopted the same practice. Instead of spelling out the divine name, they translated it as Lord spelled in all capital letters. Okay, you got that? Good, because there's more. Ancient Jewish scribes wanted to prevent anyone from even accidentally saying this name aloud when you read the Hebrew Bible. And so they came up with a visual device to remind you to make sure you say Adonai. They took the four consonant letters of the divine name. These letters correspond to our English letters, Y-H-W-H. Then they inserted the three vowels from the word Adonai and combined these together to create an artificial hybrid word, which if you pronounced it, it would say Yahuwah, but no Israelite ever said Yahuwah. It's simply a visual reminder to say the word Adonai. Now, it gets more interesting. Much later, Christian scribes came along who didn't know that Yahuwah was an artificial word. And so they began to say it aloud and spell it in their writings. This is the word that eventually entered into English as Jehovah, it's a word many people still use today. But the main thing is, the word Lord in all capital letters is an indication of the divine name. Don't confuse it with the word Lord in your English translations that's not in all capital letters. That is the actual Hebrew word Adon, which just means Lord or Master. This word can refer to people like kings or the master of a servant, even a shepherd over his sheep. And sometimes biblical authors will use this word to refer to God, like in the phrases, the Lord of all the earth or the Lord of Lords. But behind all of these words, Yehovah, Lord, Adonai, stands the original divine name of the God of Israel. It refers to the one who was, who is, and who forever will be. Awesome. If that was a lot, if that went by really fast, you can check out uh, the Bible Project online. Uh, great videos, great teaching videos. So again, really just to drive home that point that when we, when we see uh, this word kurios, this word Lord applied to Jesus in Luke 2.11. Then when we go back to it, as we read, right? Unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is a, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. With that, with that context in mind, right, from Old Testament to New Testament, we can then read essentially this. Today is born in Bethlehem a baby who is your savior, who is the Messiah, and is actually God himself. God himself, God come to be with us. 
in the form of Jesus as a baby, this newborn king. And so when we look at the idea of Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, I think, I hope that brings a lot of comfort, that God is with you, that God is for you. And then the idea of Jesus as Savior, hopefully, hopefully that's comforting. Um, again, as, we, as Doug mentioned last week, if, if you haven't responded to that great news that Jesus is your Savior, we hope that you would take the chance to do that with us or with somebody that you love, somebody that you know is following Jesus. But both of those, Jesus as Emmanuel and Jesus as Savior, I think, I think we can, to some extent, get our head around that, and those are comforting things. But then I think, if you're at all like me, when it comes to seeing Jesus as Lord, that can maybe be a little bit harder um, because it's not just Lord over one area of our life. It's not just Lord over my Sundays, my Sunday mornings here at church. Jesus as King, as Lord, demands our whole life, our everything, all of it, total surrender. And that's, that's a little bit harder. And so I think it's important that as we, com- as we convey, as we hear the full gospel message, that again, just as Doug shared last week, it's, it's not just, hey, you're just saved from this bad stuff, and you're just saved from this good stuff. It's like the response to the good news, the response to the gospel is to say, yes, Lord, here is my life. Here is all of my life. Here is all of me, not just a part. Because we can think, okay, Jesus, I will, I will respect you. I will honor you. I will worship you. I think I can do that. But again, full surrender, full obedience to him as Lord and King, I think is something we have to wrestle with. And there are times, there are seasons where it's like every day I need to wake up and remind myself, Jesus, you are king. Whatever I come into today, you are Lord, you are king. I surrender it all to you. So I want you to think, maybe where in life are we like our kids sometimes where we say, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me, God. God, I'm not going to let you be boss of my finances. God, I don't want you to be boss over this relationship or this setting, workplace, or wherever it may be. Um, Jesus himself says that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, I think that's just one scenario. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve both God and your job or a sport or an activity or your studies, any of those sort of things, saying, God, you are Lord over all of these I think maybe another way to understand it uh, when we think about students is you get to be old enough to drive, right? Getting your keys, getting to be able to, to drive is, is sort of this awesome freedom that you have and, and you love it. And so you take off and, and you're driving and go along with me for a hypothetical situation. You're driving down the road and, and there's Jesus kind of walking down the shoulder. And you're like, oh, it's Jesus. I know you. Like, hey, awesome. Pull over and Jesus, come along with me. This would be great. And you go out and you open the trunk and say, here you go, hop in. Shut the trunk and be like, cool, I just picked up Jesus. This is great. And you're just kind of cruising along with the idea that, hey, if something goes wrong, if I get a flat tire, if, if, I, if I'm totally lost, my car breaks down, I can, you know, go, go have Jesus help me out. Jesus hop out and help me out. Then you start thinking, well, actually, maybe that doesn't really work. That's, that's not super great to just leave Jesus in the trunk. So, okay, Jesus, you can come in the back seat. So you open the back door and you're like, Jesus, ride along in the back seat. You know, but I don't want a backseat driver, and I'm actually not supposed to be talking to too many people. I'm learning how to drive anyway, so just kind of hang out, and maybe every now and then you can sing along, and we'll just kind of have a good time. Then you realize, well, actually, maybe that's not much better. Okay, Jesus, move up front. You can ride shotgun. 
You can help me with some directions. I think that would be good. Jesus, if I, if I start to get lost, you can kind of chime in like, hey, do this or take a right here or do that. Or Jesus, can you help me? You know, I'm not supposed to be texting and driving, so answer the phone for me, right? Or change the music, whatever else. You can just kind of help. Again, I think it's that way a lot in life where we kind of just think, you know, Jesus is there for emergencies or maybe just directions when I need some instructions. When in reality, you know the analogy that plays out in the end that what we really ought to be doing is giving Jesus the keys and saying, Jesus, I, you need to drive. Every time I get behind the wheel and try to drive my own life, I make a mess of it. I need you driving, Jesus, and I will ride and I will listen and I will pay attention to where you're going because I trust you. God, I trust you as king. I trust you as Lord. I trust that wherever you're going to take me, that you, are, that you know what's best. And if we take a left or a right, it's all yours. It's all yours, God. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And some of our kids are getting ready to help lead us in, uh, in our last song. Um, but again, I hope and I pray that this next week, it may, there may be some hustle and bustle finishing up some things for Christmas. Um, I hope you don't lose sight of the joy of Emmanuel, God being with us and for us. I hope you don't lose sight of God being our Savior. And I would encourage you and I would hope and pray that the Holy Spirit would show you areas of your life that you've not surrendered to him as Lord, as King over each and every area of your life. And know again that he is not a, uh, an angry or vindictive king who's saying, I, dem- I, dem- I, I need that part of your life or else, or else. No, he says, I do know what's best. Will you, will you surrender? Will you live open-handedly? Will you give me that part of your life And let me be Lord over all of it because I love you and I'm here with you and I'm for you. Let me pray for us. Well, God, I, um, Lord, I confess that there are um, plenty of times and areas of my own life that relinquishing that control and surrendering to you as Lord is hard. And so I ask that um, that you would forgive us, you would forgive me for those times, God, that you would help me to see those areas of my life God, that we would help one another see those areas. You, you give us fellowship and community that we can call those out in loved ones and brothers and sisters that we're in fellowship with. Um, God, that uh, another Christmas wouldn't go by without us really understanding and fully surrendering to you as King, as Lord. And so God, we thank you for all of this and so much more in your name. Amen. Amen.